Hello and welcome to the latest edition of Newswave, written, produced and recorded here in the heart of Cornwall by the team at Chaos Radio. I'm your host, Tom Howe, and I'll be guiding you through some of the insightful guests and exciting news content that we have enjoyed across Chaos this past week. On today's show, we'll be hearing from Network Rail's Martin Duff about the upcoming decommissioning of signal boxes at PAR, Lost With Eel and Truro. We'll also be hearing from Richard Nunn, an instructor at the recently launched Matt Fidesz Martial Arts School in Charlestown. As well as that, we'll also have Neil Slateford, who's running the London Marathon in aid of Pancreatic Cancer UK and has two special events coming up in the local area. But first, English middleweight boxing champion Brad Pauls has announced that he'll fight for the British and WBA Intercontinental Belts at Birmingham's Resorts World Arena on March the 16th. Affectionately known as the Nuki Bomb, Pauls will fight Nathan Heaney on a card headlined by Joe Joyce's meeting with Cash Alley and that's supported by legendary promoter Frank Warren. The former Nuki Chatheris and Truro College student turned professional in December of 2015 and has gone on to make history with a record of 18 wins that includes 10 knockouts. Brad took time out of an intensive fight camp to talk to us exclusively here on Chaos Radio, reacting to the announcement of the fight, something he had kept secret since before Christmas, the incredible support he continues to receive throughout Cornwall, and battling back from his one and only defeat so far, coming against now European middleweight champion Tyler Denny, live on Sky Sports nearly 12 months ago. It feels a little bit strange, to be honest. It's everything you've ever wanted is happening, sort of, all of a sudden. But it's, yeah, so it's a long time coming. I've been pro eight years and it's took me a long time to get here. And yeah, it's something I think that was inevitable because where, where I had the English title, if I would have defended it, I was going to defend it. I would have earned my shot at the British. So I would have had to just wait a bit longer. But because the champions picked me as his voluntary, it just sped it all up. Which is brilliant. Amazing. Look, I'm 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 looking at the the poster now. But by the way, you said eight years then. Has it really been eight years since you turned professional? I remember putting <laughs> you on the back the back page of the Nuki Voice eight years yeah. ago. Yeah, was, it was December I, I must... 2015, it was my pro debut. That's incredible. That's incredible. Crazy. Look, yeah. I'm looking at the the poster for the the Magnificent Seven. What what a brilliant name. And I'm seeing your face right at the very top of it. That's pretty cool, isn't it? Yes, yeah, it's, it's it's a bit surreal. Like um, from fighting on smaller, where there's no big names or celebrity and stuff, where, where I work myself up, and then they call the press conference two days before, and then all of a sudden I'm sitting with Frank Warren on my right, and then Joe Joyce on my left on the top table. It's a little bit like Jesus Christ, man. But yeah, it's adds a bit of fire in your belly. Do you know what I mean? A bit more motivation. It's it's what you, I've wanted. So it's yeah, it's good. Yeah, this is what you've been talking about for for years and years, isn't it? You had the, you know, when, when you were involved with Wasserman a few years ago, we thought that maybe yeah. that was going to be the break, but you've had to fight back from that and the challenges that faced. And now, like you said, you're on the card with people like like Joe Joyce as well. Yeah, yeah. It's snakes and ladders boxing and like sometimes a lot of the battles ain't even in the ring. Like with Wasserman, I won't get too much into it, but they really stunted my career and slowed my progress through no fault of my own. And then it was a matter of just crawling my way back into a good position. So, and that's boxing, snakes, snakes and ladders, one win away, and I'm 
champion of Britain and I'll be normally fighting with Joe Joyce somewhere on the card and it'll be a normal thing. So, um, yeah, I feel I'm confident in a good position. How have things been since you got the title? Obviously, you're you're a bit of a media darling now. You've had sort of uh, limelight. We've seen your face everywhere, which has been really nice. How has it been just as, as Brad, the guy that grew up in Newquay? But honestly, to be honest, after after the English title fight, it's it's nice people stopping you and asking for a photo or whatever. Or but really, it's just people that I know. Do you know what I mean? It's not like because everyone knows everyone in Newquay. It's just people going, "Oh, well done, mate. Well done your last fight." And you think, "All right." But yeah, the, the support's just probably the most it's ever been. Um, and yeah, people have seen me work my way up from nothingness into a champion. So. Um, and there's no hate at all. Everyone's just lovely to me. It's the nicest thing in the world. It gives me a bit of faith in humanity. And people just want me to do well. So I'm a, I'm a lucky man. I saw you going into different businesses, different events, like pictures with, with children and stuff as well. That must be yeah. amazing. Yeah, it is. And it's like, it comes with the job. Whether you like it or not, you have to do it. Because um, you're not getting nowhere if no one supports you. So I, I obviously say yeah to every single person who asks and I obviously really appreciate appreciate any support I get I get so um yeah um I suppose it's gonna get worse after the next fight in it so <laughs> yeah I'm glad I got this one in early before uh you know TNT take over. Um yeah. what's your mindset now? Uh obviously we 16th of March is the fight so I'm sure camp must be starting soon or you must be mentally preparing what what's the process how are you feeling yeah I'm, I'm flat out in, in training camp biggest fight in my life the most rounds I've ever would have ever done in my life 12 rounds so I'm really stepping up the training trained through Christmas training since I've been back a uh, bit of a different buzz with this fight it's because it's something I've talked about that it's the only thing that I want really is my main belt that I want out of boxing and it's down to me there's, there's my chance there's my opportunity You've got your shot, so it's up to me to go and get it. And I'm just, I'm just buzzing off of it. There's so much to gain from this fight. It's funny how boxing works, but yeah, just full of motivation, full of support. Like I did an announcement for tickets and stuff uh, yesterday or day before, and uh, yeah, like there's going to be well over a hundred in Birmingham. I'm going to be, we're going to be outnumbered, but we don't care. Like it's fine. But there's uh, yeah, a lot of support. I'm, I'm really lucky. That's the Cornish spirit, though, isn't it? You know, it's it's us against them. It's the the Cornish yeah. nation, and and you've always you've always carried that Cornish flag and that Cornish patriotism, haven't you? Yeah, all for one and one for all, isn't it? We we stick together. We're a, we're a strong little army. Um, and you know what? looking back at my old career, not to sound like I'm retiring or something, but looking back, that's probably the thing I like the most is the support I got. There's been times I've sold 260, 270 tickets, which is really surreal feeling um, I'd just like to thank everyone who supports me um, I couldn't do it without you and it? it adds a lot of motivation it adds definitely a lot of like passion for me um, and yeah my sponsors if you ever see me post about my sponsors have a little look at who sponsors me and support those guys those guys have kept me going and if I didn't have them I would have packed it in to be honest so any of these businesses just use them they're really nice people and help me out though so yeah but yeah the, the support's amazing as always and the corners stick together and I want to reward them on March 16th for the new belt and everyone can get a photo with it after. It'll be lovely. Awesome. We talked about it at the time and there's probably no point dwelling on it but your fight against Tyler live on Sky Sports, that was a, a what felt like a massive turning point, didn't it? 
Yeah, definitely. Yeah, it's, hard, it's hindsight, isn't it? I think looking back, there's with coming from small hall, there's no way you can be prepared for something like that. I think there's a, there's a mixture of reasons things happened the way they did. I think coming from small hall, you fight in front of a thousand, maybe if, if you're lucky. And then all of a sudden, there's 4,000 live on Sky Sports. And you can't get used to doing something unless the only way you've got to do it is to get used to it. And then that's part of it. I think I've underperformed, definitely. I think Tyler's quite good. Like, he is. He's gone on. He's won the European title on a, on a mad winning streak since. So he's 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 not bad. Do you know what I mean? Um, so, yeah, it's, it's lessons learned. And from that loss, I went away and tweaked things in my training camp. I've got a nutritionist. I've got really invested in my mindset coach. I um, gained any percentage I could gain. So I, I did not want that feeling again. It, it tore me up. A thought's just come into my head and I'll let you keep it if you like. The comeback's better than the setback, isn't it? Definitely, definitely. And when when I got the English title in September, it would have been nice to have not, lo- not have lost the title and stuff, but it just made that a little bit sweeter where, where I'd failed at it before. Um, and uh, yeah, Everything for a reason. I think it will all make sense. It all adds up in the end. What do we know about Nathan Heaney? I know there's a lot of talk around him. Um, you're not a talker. You just want to get in the ring, I suppose, don't you? Yeah, that's it, mate. Like, I, I couldn't be a trash talker if I tried. It's just it's a fight at the end of the day, isn't it? Um, but Nathan, I met him for the first time the other day. And he seems like a nice bloke. Quite similar to me, I think. he's He's come from the small hall and worked his way up. He's had no handouts either. I just think he's beatable. There's just something about him that I think is very beatable. I respect him and I think he is a good fighter. He's got good attributes. But there's, I look at him when he boxes and I think I could beat him. And that's why whenever I offered the fight, I said, yeah, instantly. There was no no debate about it. So I think I think the styles will gel for a good fight. I think, yes, yeah, it's, it's going to be exciting. But if it comes down to who wants it more, then I feel like it's definitely me. Frank Warren, as he always does, has given it the big guns. I saw the press conference. I've seen all the press afterwards. It's going to be a massive, massive night of boxing, isn't it? And live on on TNT as well. Yeah, I see it back on TV. I'm pretty sure the whole venue is going to sell out. and I think it holds 7,000 or a bit more or something. So, um, yeah, it's it's a stacked card from bottom to the top. There's so many big names on it. Dennis McCann, uh, your English heavyweight title on there. Yeah, Joe Joyce, um, and then yeah, this this British and WBA continental title on the line as well. So um, yeah, it's massive. Um, I tried to get we had about forty people ask for ringside, so I put them on a list. Went to order them, and they're all sold out. So the, yeah, it's looking like the venue's going to sell out probably in the next couple of weeks. So the atmosphere is going to be good, and yeah, live on TV. So if you can't make it, tune in. People want to be there, though, don't they? How can people get tickets, these these elusive tickets? Do they contact you directly? Is there a link? Do they have to sell their souls or make deals with the devil? <laughs> yeah, I wish. I wish there was a link. I love having a link. You just have the link and it's done. But this time I've got physical tickets. So people message me. I order the tickets in. I get them delivered out. That's how we do it. It's a little bit more running round. But um, got to do what you got to do. So, yeah, if anyone wants to come support be a good night um, drop me a message and we'll set it up no problem are you back to Newquay before the fight or are you you are you in Newquay now or are you back up in, in Essex what's, what's the picture Essex right now and then I'm coming down this weekend and that'll be my, my only time coming down I've got a gender reveal for my sister so uh, another Very nephew nice. or niece but, um, oh, <laughs> but yeah so that'll be it and yeah quick quick weekend I'll do a couple of hill sprints and stuff a couple of sessions um, and then that'll be 
back up then. It'll be seven weeks then. Yep, seven weeks when I get back up. So flat out. For anyone that hasn't seen those hill sprints, get online, watch them. That just shows you the <laughs> the the passion, the dedication, and what you're you know you're putting your body on the line. I thought maybe once or twice, but you're doing these multiple times, aren't you? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I call them little engine builders. That's what I call them. My little engine builders. Do Trans Hill ten times. That'll get you fit, definitely. And in and in the coolest weather as well. Yeah, yeah. The wind's always against you, isn't it? It's never behind you. It's always against you. The boy from Chatheris fighting for the, you know, the British crown. It's unbelievable, isn't it? Sounds mental, doesn't it? Imagine that British title in Nuki. Sounds mental. Right there. Sounds good, right Thank you so much to English middleweight boxing champion Brad Pauls for taking time out of that intensive fight camp to talk to us right here on Chaos Radio. We wish Brad the very best of luck as he fights for the British and WBA Intercontinental Belts at Birmingham's Resorts World Arena on March the 16th in front of what will no doubt be a vociferous Cornish contingent. For your chance to snap up any of those remaining and very limited tickets or just to follow brad's journey search for brad pauls on facebook twitter and instagram explore a new you this new year by signing up to the recently launched matt fidesz martial arts school at st paul's church hall in charlestown the team offer award-winning children's classes for ages three and up, including sessions where families with children aged seven and over can train together with no prior experience required. These are far more than your regular martial arts sessions, though, with students of the school experiencing various other benefits, including guidance on stranger awareness, manners, fitness, confidence building, making new friends, anti-bullying, fire safety, water safety, and loads more besides. Richard Nunn, an instructor at Matt Fidesz Martial Arts, joined us on Chaos Radio to explain more about the various activities and education the school has to offer. So we're both obviously part of the Matt Fidesz organisation, so a chain of martial arts schools up and down the country and uh, abroad as well. I run a number of schools in Plymouth. we got about five schools or so in Plymouth, and they're branching out down to Cornwall. So um, St. Austin was our first location, um, more so because of uh, the, the kind of demographics to where we are. Yes, yeah, so the opportunity came up to, to host a school down there, so that's what we thought we'd do. So we're a school, we're also like a, uh, we're a martial arts school, but we are an educational provider as well, so we look deeper into not just the martial arts, not just the self-defense and the combative side of things but we also look at the educational about how to keep children safe how children keep their family safe how they keep their friends safe uh, and lots of things like that and and all those good positive attributes to make them good people basically and it's just to help them grow in a world that seems quite chaotic at the moment so um yeah that's kind of what we're about so we're more than just the martial arts side of things just very quickly where and when are sessions uh, in in this area at the moment yeah so we're at saint paul's church Mm-hmm. Down in St. Austin, uh, which is on uh, on Church Road. Obviously, it makes sense. Church, church, <laughs> the, church, the, the, the church hall on Church Road in St. Austin. So we started there last Wednesday. So we run a number of classes. So we run our Mighty Mats class, which is from three to six-year-olds. And we do that from half past five. Uh, on a Wednesday and then from quarter past six we run our junior session so that's from six years old up to about 12 years old 
Uh, and that's the Mighty Max session to, to compare the two is much more learning through play. We have a lot more fun learning martial arts, learning lots of other educational kind of benefits along the way as well. And the junior class is a little bit more uh, emphasis on the the, the the kind of techniques of martial arts and lots of other things like that as well. And then we have an adults class as well, which I think, oh, what time is that? That's about quarter past seven, half past seven. I can't remember exactly what time it is now, um, but that's an hour long. So that's that's for kind of like the adults and that's for the parents of the children to come and join in, especially when the parents come and watch their children um, doing their martial arts. It really does spark a keen interest with the adults, especially if they they did it as a child as well. And it kind of reignites that kind of um, that passion that they had for martial arts when they were younger. Uh, and they would like to get back into it again for all sorts of reasons, for mental health reasons, for fitness reasons, for health reasons. So we, we provide a class there as well. Can I ask you a little bit about the name on the Tim? What he's about, what his involvement is, and a little bit of background for people that might not uh, know his story. So yeah, Matt Fidesz, I believe he started this roughly around 30 years ago. So he started when he was about 17, 18. And I think he was up from the Barnstable area, which is where he's from. Yeah, I think he started something called the Matt Fidesz Black Belt Academy uh, all those years ago. And over the time, it's just kind of grown into this uh, this huge business now where we're one of the, the kind of uh, the biggest chains of martial arts schools in the world. So um, we, yeah, we've got a number of schools up and down the country. We've um, got some over in Australia as well, which is... Uh, helps with things like competitions. So we do competitions throughout the year to help kind of give the children something to train for, give them a, a focus, give an emphasis on what they're doing. So we do regional championships. So for, especially for the new school down in St. Austin, we'll be looking at getting children ready for our Southwest championships. We've got um, national championships. Uh, we've got international championships. So this year we fly a team out to Australia to compete against the Australian teams. So there's lots of things in there. So that's kind of how the organization has grown from the start. Um, so Matt Fidesz runs it. I think he's from Swindon now. I think he believes it up in Swindon area. But yeah, so he started it when he was like 17. It's progressed through there, really. So it's been running for a very long time. Where yeah. does the idea for these sessions come from? Have you noticed like a, a, a gap in the market or B, maybe maybe it's something that other schools don't offer? So it's more of an inclusive, holistic package that you do? Or is it something that was identified when you were running sessions already that, um, you know, young martial artists were coming in and, and this was something they, they were lacking in perhaps? Yeah, definitely. I think we just noticed the need for the students. So we're very student driven. So we're not kind of out there to be, you know, the, to, to make the most money out of martial arts. We're there to meet the needs of the students. And I think the best way to do that is to not just take tackle the aspects we get within the martial art classes, but into a wider kind of wider environment. So sometimes that means giving them uh, things to think about when they're at home. So when they're, um, say, grading for the next belts, it's not just a case of turning up and doing their kicks and their punches. They've also got to sure they're a good person. They're going to keep their bedroom tidy. They've got to make sure they're helping mums and dads at home with maybe younger siblings they're going to make sure they're doing their homework so we have a little form that goes to school and their teacher has to sign it to say yeah they're being amazing in school as well so it's putting all those aspects together to make sure like the the, the students that we're growing in our in our schools are becoming really good human beings so um yeah we kind of reach out to schools and we help with their anti-bullying campaigns we look at uh how we can help with their behavior managements as well all sorts of things so we look at what the children need and then we come up with a development plan a development plan which addresses that so uh, we uh, and we get that from feedback from the students in class. It's like, you know, where where do you need the most help? Sometimes it's with their fitness. Sometimes it's with mental health. We have a lot of children with SEN needs, uh, and we look to see how we can best support them in those situations. So it's really um, a, a growing model. So it's not uh, it's not oh we do this and we do that. It's like we look at the needs of the children and we look to see how we can adapt what we do to suit what they need. 
how did the first session go? Were, were you involved last Wednesday? Yeah, no, definitely. So myself and Mr. Kelly went down. We ran the first sessions. We had a really positive uh, session with the, the the guys that came. Really good feedback. I mean, the, the children that we worked with uh, were amazing. They got st- stuck straight in. With what we sometimes find is when children come into new places and meet new people, they tend to get a little bit shy. But uh, we did find uh, Dana Sorst, or they, they just got stuck straight in. We did some drills, practicing punches and kicks, just getting that kind of technique right. And then we looked at how we then move forward and put those into the pads. We looked at some other kind of focus uh, set drills about focusing your eyes, focusing your body, focusing your mind. So those, those, those important three rules of concentration, which we get that in quite early and we set those expectations quite high. So, uh, and yeah, the, the children that came down actually did really, really well. And it was a very positive experience. So we're, uh, yeah, really looking forward to that club growing down in St. Torso. Is it something you're looking to franchise and grow in Cornwall as well? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So what we do is very, very unique. So we'd like to offer that uh, as wide as possible, basically. So we, we're very excited about going down to Cornwall. And um, so for us, the, the, the St. Torso was the first one, but we are definitely looking to grow and, uh, and maybe be able to offer that to other parts of the county. I think really the emphasis is the importance of not just the martial arts that we deliver but the education that comes alongside the martial arts uh, and if you take the martial art aspect as a, as a singular it's not just about kicking and punching but it's knowing how and when to kick and punch knowing that you can't just go and kind of show off to your friends in school and start kicking and punching and I think that's one of the, the fears when you put children especially young children to martial arts you think they're going to go to school and start punching and kicking people um, well that's not the case we teach them respect above all else um, and it's just about that kind of a, that fear of what's going to happen if they learn to kick and punch are they going to become bad people and the answer is absolutely not there are plenty of bad people in the world that don't do martial arts and there's no connection between the two so it's 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 looking at it as a whole that it's not just the, the martial arts we offer it's the, the the guidance the education the anti-bullying the community work that we do I mean just recently in Plymouth we did uh, a community projects where we were raising uh, food for food banks and we uh, we got so much uh, and we get the parents involved in this as well so we had uh, such a good kind of feedback from there where we're actually able to, to put together a lot of food packages for for people especially in uh, times when you know, around christmas time when things are very difficult so it's uh when you join that for theirs you're not joining just for the martial arts you're, you're joining for a, a much bigger package and, and we're adaptable we can do uh what's needed for the children what's needed for the students at the time Mm, I suppose in different areas as well. There's different absolutely yeah rates of um, bullying or problems yeah. in school or outside of school, and also sort of crime rates and unemployment and things like that. So I suppose in different areas you're tackling different aspects of of community and and these social issues, aren't you? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, when they join, when they join our memberships, uh, we quite often do like a, a little talk about why they're joining. So, so uh, you know, we try and, and, uh, and meet the needs that way as well and figure out what the plan's best for that child. We tend not to te- teach every child the same way, although we have kind of, we can have like groups of children. We try and teach them as individuals because everyone's different. So depending on their reason of being, would sometimes will uh, impact on our develop, you know, on our lesson plans. So if we've got a lot of children coming in because they've been victims of bullying or they've they've witnessed bullying or they're confused by bullying and those are the sort of things we tend to address we also look at things throughout the year so uh, especially up in our clubs in Plymouth we um, like before the summer holidays we do much more around kind of like uh, um, 
awareness of people around us what happens if you get lost in a shop during busy times what happens if you're on the beach and, and you lose mum and dad and as we put uh, like these little plans in place for them to help keep them calm and how to kind of uh, reunite themselves with family members if they've got lost so this is all covers this is all covered by our kind of self-defense side of things so people think self-defense has been able to block a punch or block a kick it's not it's about keeping yourself safe when you're most vulnerable or most anxious so we we look at different aspects of self-defense so not all of it is uh, yeah, you know, being attacked by bullies and things like that. Sometimes it's just how do we keep ourselves safe and how to avoid trouble as well. So we cover lots of different things like that. Thank you so much to Richard Nunn there, an instructor at the recently launched Matt Fidesz Martial Arts School at St Paul's Church Hall in Charlestown. A reminder that sessions take place on a Friday evening, starting with Mighty Matt's for children 3 plus at 5.30pm, moving on to Juniors for children 7 plus at 6.15pm, and finally adults, families and those over the age of 16 at 7.30pm. For all the details you'll need, including contact information and a link to sign up head on over to mattfidesz.com that's matt f-i-d-d-e-s dot com the oldest signal box in Cornwall, located in Par and built some 144 years ago will close in the spring along with others in Lost Withiel and Truro the closures are part of a digital upgrade by Network Rail, who are to move signalling control to a base near Exeter St David's. The PAR and Lost Withiel signal boxes are Grade 2 listed and must be preserved, but the fate of Truro's box remains undecided. Built in 1899, it manages to found with branch line and a section of the main line too. Here to explain more is Martin Duff, an operating specialist at Network Rail, who starts by discussing the PAR signal box. It's an incredible innings for any uh, building, let alone the work that goes on within it. The box itself was built in 1879 and uh, was extended to accommodate traffic growth uh, in 1893. The existing lever frame is um, a whopping 110 years old. It was put in in 1913 um, and has uh, served us faithfully in all that time. The only addition in, uh, since then, in 1986, uh, the, uh, the the line between uh, Probus and Burngallo on the outside outskirts of St. Austell was singled by British Rail and uh, the area was controlled to a, um, a signalling panel which was added. Uh, that's there to this day and the uh, double, double track was reinstated in 2004 uh, in response to um, uh, traffic growth. We don't have many of these sort of connections to the Victorian era now, do we? It's just such a nice throwback to, to a time that, well, none of us, none of us were alive now, generations before us. Absolutely. Um, the, the the way of operating the railway has been uh, more or less the same right through in terms of why a signal box is provided, i.e. for, uh, for, for, for traffic management and uh, and for safety uh, of, of, of everyone involved with it. The um, the technology itself and the application of signaling principles has, uh, has evolved quite rightly uh, right up to the, uh, the digital age, which uh, we're about to see the dawn of in Cornwall. Can you explain to me why these signal boxes have been chosen to be decommissioned and, and what it is that's happening, where the operations are moving to and yeah. uh, explain a bit more about that for me, please. Yes, yeah, certainly. Yeah, this is the largest signalling investment in Cornwall in in a, in a long time. It brings old systems into the 21st century and also makes our rail operation more resilient. So as we move towards uh, a digital age, 
across the industry, it's right that the um, the, the the railway in Cornwall uh, makes that transition as well. The work will uh, that we're about to do in the spring will provide a uh, workstation in Exeter in an existing signalling centre, um, and that will then control the line from Chasewater. Uh, right up to the outskirts of Liscard and the Falmouth branch line and the two clay lines in mid Cornwall. So that's the Foy branch and also the line to Park and Dillick that branches off at Burngallow. So it's not just part that's been decommissioned, is it? There's a couple of other sites in Cornwall as well. Is that right? That's right. At the moment, we've got nine signal boxes uh, in Cornwall. There's seven on the main line, ranging from Liscard down to Saint, uh, down to Penzance, even sorry, uh, and also uh, on the Newquay branch line at Saint Blasey and uh, Goombarrow. The work that we're commissioning in the spring will remove the signal boxes at Loswithiel, Par, as we've discussed, and also uh, the neighbouring box down at Truro. What are going to be the key differences and, and perhaps improvements, if I could say, in, in the services as well? Absolutely. There will be a, a, a betterment in terms of capacity. Um, the uh, the resilience of the system against faults, as I say, we've got um, a, a very uh, old system at the moment, which has served as well. Uh, but the digital um, overlay that we are providing and the, the new scheme uh, will, uh, as, uh, as I said, give uh, better resilience and uh, that will reduce delays. The, they expect fewer faults and uh, a better train service uh, delivery for the uh, for, for the fair paying passenger on the Cornish main line. What happens to these boxes in Cornwall now? So like the one we talked about in Par, like yeah. Lost With You, like Truro, do you retain ownership? Are they going to be, uh, have they all got separate plans? Uh, are they going to be knocked down or repurposed or what happens now? Right. Okay. Um, both Lost With You and Par achieved grade two listed status in the summer of 2013. So uh, they, uh, they they will be under the custodianship of English Heritage uh, on closure. Um, uh, Truro, there's no listing, but equally there are no plans to demolish that structure, which dates from 1899. I suppose it's a challenge to maintain them and to uh, look after them. Uh, do, do they still sort of have the same uh, structures and uh, fittings that, that they would have had, you know, over nearly 150 years ago. Yeah, I mean, look at Truro, for example. The lever frame there was uh, reconditioned from a scheme in Bristol, uh, and that frame's been in there since 1971. Uh, when Truro was uh, uh, rationalised and uh, uh, the, the track layout um, uh, changed to what it is today. Par, the lever frame there and the equipment uh, dates back uh, earliest to 1913 and um, is, as I say, is, is, is approaching life expiry. So the time is right to uh, enter the digital age. Lost Withiel um, is uh, an 1893 uh, signal box. And uh, again, very similar to Par, uh, some additional signalling equipment was added in 1991 when a signal box at large in deep in the Glyn Valley was closed and that was recontrolled to Lost Withiel and that is all now part of uh, the infrastructure that's about to be scooped up and recontrolled to Exeter. Just talk to me a little bit about this this hub in Exeter. Is that where you're centrally based? Just just for people listening that, that might not know the, the system? Yeah, certainly. The, uh, the, the, the new digital control system, it's workstation technology, keyboard and mouse and VDU screens, similar to flight traffic control if you if you want that in your mind's eye. And uh, that uh, is uh, that, that will uh, recontrol control and uh, operate the railway west of Liscard uh, down to uh, Roskier signal box at Camborne 
So the, uh, the basically the heart of the Cornish main line is is being recontrolled to Exeter, and uh, it's expected this is the the, the first of uh, a number of stages, which uh, ultimately, in the fullness of time, will uh, will will recontrol all signalling to to that workstation or a similar one in Plymouth. Wow, so there's so much. There's so much history, isn't there? I went to uh, Bodmin and Wentford Railway recently, which really celebrates the the era of steam travel and things it like does. that. So we're seeing, like I said to you a minute ago, we're seeing sort of uh, these fantastic changes and developments and improvements in train service. And it feels maybe at the moment, like <laughs> especially for Cornwall, a lot of us use the train to get around. Um, it's quite a remote area, as, as you'll know. So it feels like we're on the cusp of something that maybe in twenty. 30 50 years or maybe even in 144 years in the case of par down the line uh, we'll be looking at as as a, as a major milestone absolutely and the the value of the work that we're embarking on at the moment and about to deliver um that will be a legacy that will not be forgotten for a long time uh, as with any major project there will be some disruption for passengers uh, when uh, we when we arrive at the uh, the work to deliver this scheme we are working closely with all train operating colleagues uh, GWR and cross country uh, to keep people moving where possible. There will be an element of rail replacement in Mid-Cornwall, St. Alstall area. Uh, I'm also focusing on Truro Station and uh, passengers can check with their train operator before travelling or with the National Rail Inquiry Service as well. Naturally, we recognise it is a disruption, but uh, hopefully, as I've discussed, the, uh, the, the, the benefits will soon be realised. And naturally, we would like to thank passengers and local residents for the patience during this work while we carry out that vital upgrade. When is the change going to happen? When can we expect the... the First of all, the, the move to digital and then perhaps some disruption as well. The disruption will be over a period of about 10 to 11 days at the end of February into March. And uh, the um, 11th of March is the indicative date that we will be uh, uh, transferring the operation to Exeter. Where can people find more information on what it is that you do? Maybe those live timetables, where would you direct them? I would direct anyone listening to the National Rail Inquiries website, trainline.com, a lot of the uh, reputable sites, uh, as well as uh, the uh, the Network Rail website and um, the um, uh, any, any of the passenger forum and charter uh, websites uh, that um, that serve the area, such as um, we've got. I mean, we've got the um, the, the, the the website for the uh, for, for the Newquay branch, the uh, the Atlantic coastline. Um, there, there will be details on there as well. So there's a, there's a multitude of information on, on 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 the internet. One thing we've been talking about a lot is the Mid Cornwall Metro in 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 the, in the county sort of coming up. Do you have any developments on that or information or any news? Presently, no. However, what I will say to you is that the uh, the work that we're doing is a massive enabler for the um, uh, for, for the uh, for the benefit that the um, uh, any any increase in service will will be able to gain. Uh, we've got uh, improved uh, resilience of signalling equipment in the middle of the county, the uh, better capacity uh, for for train operating, and uh, so it's a golden opportunity for some new service groups and a very exciting time. Thank you so much to Martin Duff, an operating specialist at Network Rail, for joining us to explain in more detail the forthcoming decommissioning of the signal boxes at Par, Lostwithiel and Truro. For further information, including contact details and the very latest updates, head on over to networkrail.co.uk. 
Local sporting personality Neil Slateford has announced two events to support his fundraising campaign ahead of running the London Marathon on Sunday the 21st of April. The first is a quiz at St Blasey Football Club and the second, wait for it, is a 24-hour run around Par Track, no less. The AFC Sinostal captain is in training for his second London Marathon, once again raising awareness and funds for pancreatic cancer research. Neil, manager of a local sports company based in St Austell that delivers sports in schools across Cornwall, joined us on Chaos Radio to reflect on his first marathon and explain more about the challenge that lies ahead of his second. I did one, not last year, I did the one the year before, um, which was an October one, which was quite nice actually because you can train in the summer and you can, you can do it that way, but they've changed it now back to what it was so it's in april so yeah i've um started fundraising started training properly last week so yeah full, full steam ahead really let's go back for people that might know that might not know the story why did you initially obviously we know you're quite sporty we've just discussed that why did you initially t- want to take on the challenge of of the london marathon um i'm sort of quite naturally driven whether that's with work or or sports i always wanted to run the london marathon and it, it, I've tried for about 10 years just through the the London Marathon ballot and never got in. So I was just it was just a way I was trying to think of a way I could do it but still be able to do the marathon. So I applied through Pancreatic Cancer UK, which is um a really really good charity and I lost my dad to pancreatic cancer when I was probably when I was 18, 19. So it just seemed a really really good way of being able to tick a couple of boxes for me really, raise money for for that charity and run the London Marathon. So I applied and I got in. Um so last time I raised probably about 4,000 and hoping to raise, you know, the same sort of money this time hopefully have you started training for it now and and how does that differ from obviously you're in football training and you're active during the week with your job as well and running around after a three-year-old too how does it differ or does it step up a level um, when it comes to the marathon it's just about being consistent with the marathon really i i run quite a bit anyway which is why I've always wanted to do the marathon because it's just sort of like you know the end goal for any sort of runner really but i run probably two or three times a week anyway but it's just making sure now that you are really, really consistent with what you do. For example, if you if you miss a week, it's just going to put you back another week. So you just have to be really consistent with it. So I run probably four or five times at the minute through a training plan. So I follow, you know, quite an advanced training plan. It's over 25 miles a week. But as you say, things do get in the way a little bit. Football at the minute, we're quite lucky that we're, we're we're doing well. So, you know, we've got a senior cup match on Wednesday. So I do have to sort of mix and match it a little bit. I just try and make sure I get in the mileage that I know I need to do, whether that be with three runs rather than five runs. Yeah, it's just about staying consistent and just making sure you get that mileage into the legs. And then, like you say, look after a three-year-old, a six, six-year-old as well. But, you know, it's only for four months. It's not, it's not you know, all year which is sort of a nice thing. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So I understand that you've got various sort of fundraising events and people that are supporting you already. Can you tell me a little bit more about that? I, for some reason, have decided to run for 24 hours. So I'll be running for 24 hours around Par Running Track. So that's okay. in the, the February half term from the Sunday to the Monday. So how, yeah, how do you, uh, I can see look on your face, but people can't see that. How do you come to that decision and how do you even go about doing something 
something like that. That's quite incredible. I'm just trying to think of different things, different avenues of fundraising, essentially. You know, I'm doing the quiz. Last time I did a football match. I'm just trying to think of different ways to sort of to show people how sort of important you know this charity is for me so you know it's not running 24 hours around a running track isn't something that's going to be easy so I just want to try and show people that you know I'm prepared to put in the hard work to do something like that so it'll be start on a Sunday at 12 o'clock and I'll finish it on the Monday at 12 o'clock just another avenue of fun for me I guess <laughs> um, uh, that's incredible how, how does that even work then so you do you have breaks uh, I, I, I don't how, how is that set up? So yeah, I, I, I'm going to have to sort of take my sort of plan mentally is every three hours, maybe have a little stop, a little refuel, you know, get some gels on board, some food, and then just set off again, basically. So maybe every three hours I'll stop 10 minutes, 15 minutes, if that, just to, yeah, just for a bit of energy, really, to keep going. Plenty of people have said they're going to help me out and sort of run with me, which is, which will be nice, you know, could get a little bit lonely 24 hours running on your own. Hopefully it'll go well, we'll see. If I, you know, I'm not, I'm not setting myself any sort of targets. If I have to walk, because my legs won't, you know, won't do it anymore. If I have to crawl because, you know, I can't walk anymore, you know, it's just, continual movement just to just to show a bit of dedication really i love i love that commitment and i think people will really appreciate that when they they hear that coming through in your voice you've mentioned a little bit about your story as well where does that money go so we know it goes to the charity what sort of work do they they do what where will we be seeing this money go towards yeah that's a good question so actually pancreatic cancer is probably the most aggressive cancer I can't I couldn't give you the figures right now, but it's very, very unlikely that you live more than about a year. Um, I'm in a group with with some people, you know, they get diagnosed and then two months later, unfortunately, they pass away. So, uh, you know, the charity's working really, really, really hard to try and make breakthroughs so people get longer you know some people when you do hear about pancreatic cancer you think right well that's that could be the um it's almost a death sentence but they're trying to change that you know early early diagnosis is really really important is it you know can can we spot signs earlier to treat it to give people longer so it's it's getting better but very, very, very slowly. So I think that's where the, the money mainly is going to sort of go to. Thank you so much to local sporting personality, Neil Slateford, for sharing his epic fundraising experience with us. Neil's 24-hour run around Par Track will start at 12.30pm on Sunday, the 11th of February. If you have been inspired to donate or to get involved in Neil's fundraising campaign, search for Neil Slateford on socials or call... 07969463773. That's 07969463773. That's all we've got time for on this week's edition of Newswave. My thanks to London Marathon runner Neil Slateford, English middleweight boxing champion Brad Pauls, Matt Fidesz martial arts instructor Richard Nunn, and Network Rail's Martin Duff. Now remember, if you have a local news story that you'd like to share with us, email news at chaos.radio or search Chaos Radio UK across socials. That's it. You're up to date here on Chaos. I'm Tom Howe. Thank you so much for listening. See you next week.